Amen. Thanks, Gil. Love you, Rob. Good job. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be gathered with you today on this beautiful Sunday. And I hope that everyone had a good week since the last time we gathered. And I'm thankful that everyone is safe after that hurricane we experienced last Sunday. Um, if you don't know, a hurricane is the natural phenomenon of a hurricane mixed with an earthquake. And uh, yeah, so we're all good. We're here. Another week. And uh, I know that this week for me and for my family was a time of transition, of seasons. Uh, we're back in school now. Rhythms are kind of changing. And there's something kind of nice about that. You know, time just moving on, seasons coming and seasons going. And, and I bring that up for the simple reminder that life just keeps moving on. And sometimes life is good and joyful and easy. Sometimes life is full of sorrow and pain and hardship and tiring. And yet as seasons come and seasons go, we live through this life with faith. And because we have faith, we believe that God is always on the throne and that he is ruling and reigning from that place with his love. And so just that reminder to us, church, that every moment that passes is another moment that is nearer to our salvation than when we first believed. You know, since last Sunday, we are one week closer to either Jesus coming to us or us going to him. Next Sunday, when we gather again, we will be one week closer to that salvation. And, and so let's do this. Let's keep moving forward in faith. Let's keep pressing on to the eternal hope and calling that we have in the Lord. Let's stay heavenly focused because that's our command. We want to stay the course. We want to run the race. We want to hold fast until the end. And there's this little saying that I like to use, and I'm going to use it today, and it's this, onward and upward. Onward and upward with Jesus in faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So to do that, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We are going to be moving on in our study of this letter. And what we have today is that three out of the five warnings that are given in the book of Hebrews are now behind us. And uh, today we're coming into a section of encouragement. Does anybody like to be encouraged? You like being encouraged? I do. And if I'm being honest, I could use a little bit of encouragement this week. I, I feel good about that. Because the last two weeks, we've been getting some real serious and sober warnings. Does anybody like being warned? You're like, yeah. I'm, you're like, I do, I do. But yeah, I, I could use some encouragement. So that's what's going to happen today. And to do that, we're going to be looking into Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 through 20. And I believe that God will, by his word encourages us, encourages, encourage us today. So you guys ready for that? All right, let's read this amazing portion of God's word found in Hebrews 6, starting at verse 9. It says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness 
to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie... We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that are in them. And we thank you that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we believe, Lord, that your word today is going to encourage us. It's going to encourage us because you have made promises to us that you will keep. You will do this, Lord. And we can trust you to carry us through to the end. And so, Lord, we want to go onward and upward with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. If you were here with us for the last two Sundays, then you know that we've heard some strong warnings from the scriptures, a warning to grow into spiritual maturity, and a warning to not fall away from Jesus. And if you missed any of those messages from the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. They are online. Uh, But I'm glad that the Bible has warnings, because we need to be warned, don't we? But I'm also glad that the Bible has encouragements, because we need to be encouraged as well. You know, I've been watching a lot of baseball lately with my son, and there's these moments in baseball where the pitcher needs a visit to the mound. Uh, Bases are loaded, there's two outs, and the pitcher needs to do what he gets paid the big bucks for. And so the pitching coach and the catcher come out to the mound, and what do they say? They say, come on, man, you got to get your stuff together. You know, there's nowhere to put these men. Bases are loaded. you got to throw some strikes, or we're going to lose this game. And then it's saying, you know, you know what you need to do? Just throw this next pitch. Let's get some strikes. You got this, right? And in that, you hear how the pitcher needs both a warning and an encouragement. And there's these moments in our lives where we need that. And I sort of see the writer of Hebrews doing that here in this section where he's almost like a coach 
where he's warning about certain dangers, but he's also encouraging us in our progress of faith. And so I take comfort in the fact that the writer of Hebrews knew that it was important to warn, but that he also knew that it was important to encourage. And that's why he says in verse 9, after giving such a strong and sober warning, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. It's like he's saying, I've spoken really seriously to you, and I've said what needed to be said. And I said it in a way that should have caused you to do some serious self-examination because I don't want you to be like one of those who at one time had some kind of religious experience but now have fallen away from Jesus. I don't want that to be the case for you because if after understanding who Jesus is And what he has done for you, if you reject Jesus and you reject his loving sacrifice, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. I've spoken to you about what would happen if that were the case for you. But I don't want that to be the case for you, and it doesn't need to be the case for you. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, We feel sure of better things. You know, verse 9 comes to us not to remove the warning. The warning still stands. He's not saying, you know, what I just said about, you know, it's impossible for God to renew someone to repentance. I was just kidding with you. I'm messing around with you, you know. It's not to remove the warning. But verse 9 does come to us because it understands our human weakness and our, and our tendency that, that, that we are prone toward discouragement, that we're prone toward giving up. And so it recognizes it, and it comes to bolster up our spiritual strength, saying, no, 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 you are the beloved. We are the children of God. That is what we are. He's saying, you know, Jesus loves you. And you love Jesus, isn't that the case? And since that is the case for you, well, then we feel sure of better things. We can talk about salvation because salvation is yours in Jesus Christ. And so going on from here, the writer will encourage our progress in the Lord. He's going to say onward and upward, so to speak. And he's going to do that here now by reminding us about the character of God. And so look with me at verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The reason why I think the writer felt sure about better things, things concerning salvation, is because he had seen how the Hebrews had shown love and good works. But it's not just that he had seen love and good works done by them, as if it were up to the writer of Hebrews to be the one to, you know, examine people's love and good works. You know, last week after the message, I had my faith meter 2000, and I walked around messing around with some of you guys, and I was like, yeah, you're good, you know. Um, but But... 
it's not up to us to determine the quality of someone's work or the quality of someone's love. You, you see, there's someone so much greater than ourselves who sees our love and who sees our work. Notice who it is that sees it. It is God who sees our love and sees our work. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, especially because the work and the love that you've shown has been in serving the saints. And then he says, and you're still doing it. The Hebrew saints had ongoing work and ongoing love that was being shown in God's name to the service of the saints. Now look, one of the ways that I believe personally I have made progress in my faith, the ways that I've moved onward and upward in my calling in Jesus Christ has been in the way that I have worked and loved in ministry. Serving the saints has been, in me a sense, less about you know, growing the church and helping other people grow spiritually, although that is the work that I get to do, that is the love that I get to share. It's for others. But, but in a sense, it, it's often been more about me growing spiritually. See, serving in the church for me has been a huge catalyst for my spiritual growth. And, and I'd encourage you that, that if you haven't experienced just the, the, the growth that comes to you spiritually by serving God in his church, I just encourage you to do it. You see, God looks upon our work and God looks upon our love. And, and he knows that, that however it is that you have served him, he has seen it. Jesus says even that if anyone gives a cold drink of water in my name, they will by no means lose their reward. Every small little act of love and work that you have shown, God has seen it. Now, others may not have seen it. See, the work and the love that you show may sometimes be overlooked by your fellow man. And can't that be a little bit discouraging sometimes? We obviously know that we shouldn't be doing our work and loving as a way to please man, but rather as a way to please God. But, but, but it does sometimes get discouraging. It doesn't seem like our love is making an impact. It doesn't seem like our work is making a difference, and we can be discouraged. But the word is here to tell us today, you know, there is one who sees it, there is one who knows it, and there is one who will reward it, and that is God. And so God's word is telling us that he will not overlook your work and your love, because you know what? If he did overlook it, it would go against his character. God's not unjust so as to overlook the things that you've done in his name. And then verse 11 says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So there's this desire that love and work would be shown through us and that this work would be ongoing and continuous because we would be able to say, and we are still doing it. And and so the writer's saying, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Now, I can just say 
What if every single person in the church came each week to love and to work? To love and to work. What difference would that make within the body of Christ if every person was working and loving? If we're eager and earnest to do this, God's going to see it and God's going to bless it. Now, I feel good about where we are as a church. I, I see you, beloved, and I see the ways that you serve and the ways that you love. And even when I don't see it, that's okay, because you know what? God sees it. And there's going to be a lot of things that you'll do that, you know, as a pastor, I don't see it. But there is a sense in which we have this church family here. We have this church bodies where your gifts are needed, your gifts are wanted, and you can serve in this place where, where we would have... Let me, let me say this. There's this mindset that I think would be transformative for us. What if when we come to church on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever it is we're gathering with the saints, if we came with this mindset, not thinking so much about what am I going to get out of this service? For instance, you know, you come to church and you're thinking, oh, who's going to be doing the worship and what songs are they going to choose and is it going to be my favorite ones? And, and you know, this uh, you know, message and everything. I really hope that I hear something good that I can really take away today from this sermon. And, uh, and when I get there, I hope that there's the, the, the donuts that has a little stick coming off of it or the one with the little, you know, cereal on top because that's the one I really, I don't like the, these other ones. I hope they're not all picked over on the donuts. And when I get to my coffee, I just hope that I don't get the one that has the grounds in the bottom, you know? And so you're coming and you're just thinking, what am I gonna get from church what if we came to church primarily thinking, what can I give? Who might I be able to serve and minister to? What coffee spill can I clean up if I see it go down? You know, what this, what that, you know, how can I serve? And it might be a, a work, it might be a love, it might be a service, it might be a hug, it might be an encouragement, whatever it is. You have something that you can give when you come here. And so... Look, this message today is meant to be an encouragement. This is by no means me seeking to put a guilt trip on anyone to say, you're not serving enough in the church. Because this is an encouragement because if we are all serving, it's going to only bolster up our confidence in the Lord. It's only going to continue to see that we are making progress, not only individually, but as a church body, if we are all continuing together. You know, it's, it says, and you're still doing this. This isn't about the whole idea. It's like, well, you know, I've served Jesus in the church. Back in 1967, you know, I was uh, leading a Bible study, you know, for a couple of guys. And it's like, that's great. You've done some things in the past, but what are you still doing today in this church where you can serve? And you can say, well, you know, pastor, I've served before in the church and no one appreciated me. No one saw the things that I did, and, and I got used, and I got abused, and I got overworked, and, and I don't want to do that again. I can't take that again. And you know what? I'm just going to say this. God is not unjust to overlook your work and your love that you've done in his name in serving the saints. 
And if for whatever reason you have stopped serving, Jesus is calling upon you today to start serving. Because it is only a testimony to our continued spiritual progress in the Lord. And I hope you don't take that as a guilt trip. I hope you only take that today as an encouragement. Because we want what is spoken about there at the end of verse 11 that says that we want to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And the people that I find having this full assurance of hope are the people that are loving and working in God's name and are still doing it. And this idea of full assurance comes from a nautical theme, a theme that we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews. And to have full assurance comes from this idea of having a full gust of wind in your sails. Think of a ship with a mast that is moving forward in its, in its trajected purpose and, and, and travels, and this big gust of wind comes and it fills the, the sails into these big billows and it moves it forward. And, and so there's just, you've heard this before, we just need a fresh wind in our sails. Don't you need a fresh wind in your sails? I know I do. Because sometimes as we're going through this life, it gets hard. And things slow down and it gets sluggish and it, it gets weary and we get tired and, and we need to keep going on. We know that our direction is onward and upward and you just need to say, God, I need a fresh wind in my sails. Give me this full assurance of hope so that I can continue and persevere to the end until I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, give me a fresh wind in my sails today. And that's what God wants to do. And God is not unjust to overlook you, especially if you have grown weary in doing good. God will give you the strength. He'll give you the endurance to keep on keeping on until you reach heaven's shores. God's going to keep blowing that wind in your sails until you make it to your destination and you receive your heavenly reward. And God's going to get you there because God promised that he would. Because when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not like, oh, I hope I make it. Oh, I hope this happens. Oh, I hope I can continue. No, biblical hope is I will make it. Because God has promised that I would. And the, and the reason we need the warning and the encouragement is because sometimes we don't think we can make it. Sometimes we don't think we can throw that next strike. Sometimes we think that we can't continue any longer, but look at verse 12. God will give you this full assurance of hope so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This idea of sluggish is associated with a word we saw earlier in the book of Hebrews, where the writer says, you have become dull of hearing. That word dull is closely linked to this word sluggish, and both of them means that there is no push. There is no drive. And, and doesn't it feel that way sometimes in life? When you just feel like you can't move forward? It feels like, as you're making progress in life, it feels like you're riding a bike with flat tires. And it's just miserable. And so we need the Spirit of God to pump us up, to give us a fresh wind, and to keep us moving forward. And we can do this. 
We can keep going onward and upward because God promised that he will help us. So is anyone feeling dull? Is anyone feeling sluggish? The Lord wants to do this for you. He wants to strengthen you and fill you and to keep you going. Verse 12 says, you can do this because others have done this before you. And he says that we can imitate those who through faith have inherited God's promises. There are those who've gone before us and they too had to endure through all the challenges of life, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the persecution, all the things, all the worries, everything, the ups and the downs of life. There are people who've gone before us and they made it to their end and we can make it to our end. And one person that the writer of Hebrews is going to draw out by way of illustration is the man Abraham, who is the father of the Hebrew faith. Verse 13 and 14 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. So Abraham here is held up as an example of one who through faith received the promises of God's blessings. We could go back to Genesis chapter 22 and see how this promise was made to Abraham, that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. And this promise was made as he was willing to offer up his son Isaac on the mountain called Moriah. And God said to Abraham there in that moment as he stopped Uh, and, and provided the sacrifice, he said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, this was spoken to Abraham when he had waited a really long time for this son to come. And God had made a promise to Abraham in his old age with his wife, Sarah, that he was gonna have a son. And they're like, okay, God, you're gonna have to do this. And then even after he promised, they waited and they waited until God gave what he was promising to give this son, then through whom God would bless the nations. And God did fulfill his promise to Abraham, but Abraham had to be patient in faith. See, God asked Abraham to be patient. He didn't ask him to be perfect because Abraham was by no means perfect. He patiently waited but he didn't perfectly wait. We know in waiting, Abraham allowed his wife to be taken by other men, and he lied saying that she was his sister. And he not only did this once, but twice. And then Abraham thought that he could speed up God's promises of giving him a son, and so he slept with his wife's maidservant, Hagar, and had a son named Ishmael. And a lot's come from that decision. And, And then he finally did receive the son that God promised, and then God said to kill him. (laughs) He's like, what is this? Right? And Abraham was not perfect, but he was patient. And he patiently trusted God with faith. If you haven't ever read the story of Abraham from the book of Genesis, you ought to go read it. It's wonderful. He's an example to us, one in whom we can follow of having faith and persevering in God's promises. So the promise of God to Abraham, and it extends far beyond him and beyond Isaac and beyond Jacob. As we're going to get into chapter 11, we're going to see that Abraham was a father of the faith. And we take hope in the fact that God fulfills his promises as we wait patiently, 
not perfectly. If we wait patiently with faith, God will do what he says he's going to do so we can keep going onward and upward. Before we move on, I just want to highlight this one word, patience. I did a study on this word, and it's a wonderful word. It's the word macrothumea. Macro is the first part of the word. It means uh, long or large. And, and thumea has the idea of something that burns. Um, and, and so the idea here is that to have patience is to have a long fuse, a slow burn. And the idea is, is that you can go through a lot of life. You can go through an, a lot of adversity. You can, you can be patient through trials and tribulations and persecutions without exploding in anger, without throwing in the towel and giving it all up and saying, I can't do this anymore. It is to have a long fuse to endure for a long time. And this is the patience that we're being called into. And then in verses 16 through 18, the writer is going to uh, develop this encouragement for us to patiently endure, still using Abraham as an example of someone that God promised blessings to. Look at what it says in verse 16 through 18. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So this is telling us that in this promise of blessing that surely I will bless you and multiply you. God not only swore by his own name, but he also swore by an oath. It's very interesting to think about God swearing by his own name, and I mean this in the best kind of way, but it's as if God were to say, I swear to God, I'm going to do this. You know, when God says, I swear to God, I'm going to do this, you, you better believe God's going to do it. But if that wasn't enough, if God didn't swear by his own name, he also swore by an oath. So he made sort of a double guarantee that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And you and I might swear on something that is greater than ourselves. You know, you might swear on your mother's grave. And your mother and her grave is much bigger than you are, so you better respect your mom and her grave. Um, and Jesus did say, right, that we ought not to swear by heaven and earth because it doesn't, it doesn't belong to you. Rather, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But God's not like a man where he swears or he makes a promise and then he can't keep it. When God promises something, he has to keep it because if he didn't keep it, it would go against his character. And so he swears by his own name. He puts his own name on the line. He says, I'm going to do this, and if I don't do it, then you shouldn't believe in me because I wouldn't be able to be trusted. I wouldn't be just. But because God can be trusted and because God is just, he swears by his own name, and then he swears by an oath saying, I'm going to do this, and this is the kinds of promise that God makes to us in his word. This book is filled of promises, not just for Abraham, but for you. 
And all of the promises of God to us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We have uh, the fulfillment of promises that Abraham longed to see in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so the promises of God in this book, they are true, and God said he's going to do it. And so for us, this ought to be a strong encouragement. We can flee to this refuge that is in Jesus and be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. I like that it says strong encouragement. Because, you know, we often will hear a lot of weak encouragements. And you want to hear a weak encouragement? A weak encouragement is this, is you got this. You know, pat them on the back. You got this. And there's something to be said about that. And, and, and I'll say that to, to people. I'll say that to myself. You got this. And there's an element of human responsibility where you, you do. You've got to get it. You, you, you got this. But that's a weak encouragement. You want to hear a strong encouragement? God's got this. Because you know what? Even when we don't got this, when we're struggling to continue on, when we're trying to see the light, when we're trying to see the purpose, when we're trying to see the plans of God, and it seems like everything around us is just falling down, and we can't continue on, and we just want to throw in the towel, you got this? That's a weak encouragement. But a strong encouragement is God's got this. God's got you. God will keep you. God will hold you. God will persevere you. God has you to the end. God's not letting go of you. He's made a promise to you in Jesus Christ. And it's not the proverbial pitcher, you know, coach at the mound kind of thing where it's like, you got this, you need to do this or you're going to lose the game. It's like the victory's already been won. The game is already decided. Jesus has accomplished everything. He has died and suffered once for all. You are guaranteed the inheritance of heaven You've been sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. God's got this. He's going to get you. You're going to make it through. You don't need to be like, will I, will I be able to do this? Yes, you can. Because God's got this. He's going to get you there. So we hold fast to the hope set before us. Forward progress onward and upward because in verse 19 it says we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a gentleman during first service came to me and he said you know uh in the same way as the idea of a hurricane he's got a little you know wordplay he's like this is an encouragement that there's this anchor that's going to encourage you today. You guys all know how an anchor works, right? An anchor is attached to a boat, and it goes down to the depths of the sea. And, and for an anchor to work, it's got to go down, and you, and you can't see it. You know, if you're looking at your anchor on your boat, the anchor's not doing its job. We have faith. We have hope. We don't see the anchor, but the anchor is attached and it's there, it might not be visible because we walk by faith and not by sight. What we hope for has not yet been seen, and yet there is an anchor to our souls that is holding us steadfast and sure. 
It's a strong anchor. It's an anchor that is incorruptible. It's an anchor that is created by God. It's not dragging along, like kind of trying to hold on for dear life. It is attached to the rock that is Jesus Christ. Because you notice this anchor is not down in some water. Notice where this anchor is set. It is set in heaven. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And that language is temple language, language of sacrifice, language of that there was this holy of holies, this inner sanctuary where, where once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and he would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And that sin would make atonement for the people for one year until it had to be done again. But when Jesus died on a cross and he shed his blood, there at the temple in Jerusalem, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer courts. But that veil was torn in two, and it was torn from the top to the bottom, meaning that God tore it, man did not tear it. And that, that, that veil was thick, and God rent it through so that the inner sanctuary was exposed. But Jesus didn't go into that inner court. He went into the inner court that is in heaven because the temple and the tabernacle were but a mere shadow and a copy of the reality of the things that are true, this inner sanctuary of heaven. So when Jesus died on a cross, he went to heaven and his blood was a sacrifice for sins once and for all. And when God saw the blood of his son, Jesus, the lamb of God that was slain, he received that blood as the sacrifice that covers our sins once and for all. So we don't need to endlessly offer sacrifice to God. We simply come to Jesus by faith and we receive his grace because Jesus atoned for our sins in the heavenly places with his own blood. Our hope is set in heaven. That's where our anchor is. And that anchor tells me that it is held strong by Jesus, my great high priest. We have a sure and steadfast hope. And so we are going onward and upward with our souls anchored in heaven. Verse 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus there is called a forerunner because he has gone before us. He showed us the way. He showed us what it's like to patiently endure through this life and to make it to God's final end for you. So, for Jesus to be a forerunner, there has to be afterrunners. And so are you following Jesus? Are your eyes fixed on him? Do you have a hope that is set, which is the anchor for your soul, that you know that you know that you're going to heaven and you're gonna see Jesus face to face and that's gonna happen soon, very soon. And then he mentions Melchizedek again. And this is about the third or fourth time that we've mentioned this fellow named Melchizedek and how Jesus relates to him. 
that Jesus is our king and our high priest. And so you're going to have to come back next week to find out who the heck is Melchizedek. But in the meantime, I pray you've been encouraged. Not with some sort of weak encouragement, but a strong encouragement. Not an encouragement that merely comes from man, but an encouragement that comes from God's word. That you have a hope that is anchored in heaven with Jesus. God's got you. He's got this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for that hope that we have in you. It is a hope that calls us to persevere. A hope that calls us to continue to press onward and upward. And so God, I believe today, by your word and by your spirit, you want to blow a fresh wind within our sails to keep us moving to keep us going in faith. And I know what it's like, Lord, to want to give up. I know what it's like to grow weary in the battle, to grow tired in the storm. And so, God, would you strengthen your church today? Would you strengthen your people? God, I pray for those mothers and fathers who have been praying for their sons and their daughters to return to Jesus, and they have agonized in prayer and they're tired, and they don't know how much longer they can hold the rope. They don't know how much longer they can keep praying, but Lord, you encourage them to keep praying. Lord, there are those whose marriages are struggling, and you just want to throw in the towel, but Lord, would you by your spirit today Pour out your blessing. Pour out your promises. Remind them of the covenant that has been made and let them draw near as you would draw near to them. Lord, would you strengthen marriages today? Would you encourage them? Lord, for those who are growing weary in doing good, feeling like their works are not being seen, their love is not being appreciated, Lord, you see it, you know it. God, would you encourage them? We're all coming here today coming from various things going on in our lives, Lord. And, and if I could see it, that'd be wonderful, but I can't. But I take comfort in the fact that every single person in this room is seen by you. And God, that you are willing and you are able and you want to bless them. You want to encourage them. You want to fill them with a fresh wind in their sails to give them the full assurance of hope. And so do it, Lord. Pour out your spirit right now, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name upon these people who need to keep going on in faith. We cannot wait to be with you, Jesus. But until that comes, let us endure to the end through faith and patience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.